How was the word of God heard by the people when it was first spoken? The time, the place, the political landscape, the struggles. And how does the word of God apply to this time, this place, this political landscape, our struggles? This is Michael Leasley in Context. Understand God's word and apply it to your life. In Context. Welcome to In Context. We're so glad that you are with us today. Two weeks ago, we started a series on discipleship, and we began by taking a look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And then last week, Dad, you had a great conversation with Dan Spader, who really gave us an overview on the model that Jesus gave us for discipleship. And the question that really stuck out to me when y'all were talking was, have we made discipleship harder than it really is? And I think you and Dan have a great conversation about that. So today we have another friend on the show, and we've got Mark Irving. So tell us a little bit about Mark. Well, Mark's been at Fellowship Bible Church for about three years now as our pastor of adult discipleship. He was at Cedarville University for 13 years as a director of discipleship. And while on campus, he would recruit 10 students, and they had groups of 10 from each one of those students. So over the 13 years, he discipled some 1,100 students wow. indirectly and directly. And so he kind of knows what he's doing when it comes to making disciples. So he spent about 16 years total now uh, making disciples. Hmm. Well, when Mark began his journey with Christ and becoming a disciple, it was that relationship that provoked him to say, you know, I need to be doing this as a ministry, making disciples of others. Yeah, and y'all's conversation was particularly impactful for me. Mark did a really good job of demystifying the discipleship process and at least personally gave some really easy steps to take if we want to start thinking through how we might become disciple makers. So let's jump into that conversation with Mark Irving right now. Well, we're joined today with Mark Irving. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing well. Good to have you. Thank you. Now, you were at Cedarville University for how many years? 12 years? 13. 13 years. Yeah. And your role primarily was discipling. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. I have to give some backstory to that. I was a student in the early 90s from 90 to 94. And um, my freshman year, I was having some roommate trouble. A friend of my older sister saw me, I guess, looking a little down and said, Mark, how you doing? And I, I kind of spilled the beans there. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm struggling with my room. He said, well, why don't you come live with me? And I'm an RA and I can just pull some strings with the dean and, and, and get you over into to my dorm for a semester. I said, okay. And uh, first week I was there, an NIV study Bible, a devotional book by Chuck Swindoll and a notepad showed up on my desk with huh. a handwritten note that said, Mark, let's go through these together this semester. Wow. Eric. And I didn't know it, but he was discipling me. And so I started reading this NIV Bible for the first time going, oh, that's what that means. And he would ask me a question every night. He would say, Mark, what'd you learn from the word today? Hmm. And we would have that conversation and pray together and and go to bed. And and so I I grew like a weed spiritually that semester. And he was the first person to ask me, Mark, have you ever thought about going into ministry? 
Well, Marx in my conversation took a lot of directions about discipleship and what it looks like. But what was interesting was when he received a call from his alma mater, Cedarville University, to talk about coming on staff in a discipleship position. Mark had no plans to go back to the Midwest, but God had other plans moving him in that direction. God kind of hit me up the side of the head with this thought, and he said, Mark, what if I could use you to create a context on campus where relationships like the one you had your freshman year could happen more naturally? And that thought just stuck in my my brain, my heart, and um, as my wife and I prayed and thought more about it, we thought, okay, Hmm. this seems like God calling us back to the cornfields. When you think about discipleship from both being discipled and then becoming a disciple maker, um, what are like two or three pivots for you? What's the differentiation? Because there's so many models and plans and programs and books and workbooks. Uh, Let's boil it down. What's discipleship on both those sides, both being discipled Mm -hmm. and then making disciples? Those are two sides of the same coin to me, being, being a disciple and making disciples. I like to use the term disciple-making rather than discipleship. Discipleship has got all kinds of connotations to it that go in, in different directions, but I don't think you can separate those two, being a disciple and making disciples. Here's why I say that is that when Jesus called his original disciples, he um, said, come follow me, but he didn't stop with that. He said, and I'm going to turn you into something. He front-loaded the purpose Mm. for which he was calling them to follow. And that was to turn them into fishers of men. We have a a mutual mentor, Howard Hendricks, who would say, men, if you're not uh, fishing, you're not following. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I I really don't think you can separate the being a disciple from the the making disciples. Because as you're being a disciple, you're learning how to make disciples. Mm -hmm. You're, You're discovering the overarching purpose for which Jesus has called you. And that is to bring glory to him by spreading the knowledge of salvation and the gospel to those who don't yet know him. We interviewed Dan Spader recently. Mm -hmm. He's written four or five books on discipleship. And and he said in the concept of discipleship, if you're not making disciples, you ergo are not a disciple. Which I thought I'd never heard someone yeah. make it that distinct that of a, clear. A, a, yeah, a comment, but it makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. to just be discipled, then go about your merry way. That was a Bible study. Yeah. So take us through some steps. You got a, a young person or, or maybe a young believer that's in their 40s or 50s. Mm-hmm. They know nothing about the Bible, what it means to follow Christ. They walked the aisle, they prayed the prayer, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you tell them? Yeah. Well, first, you've got to root them in the gospel and how to relate to God through the gospel. Because um, you don't want to just make them religious. <laughs> sure. That's a that's a common mistake in, in disciple-making is to give them a lot of things to do, and then they begin to find their sense of spirituality in what they're doing rather than the approval they already have in Christ. And so I always start with making sure the gospel is crystal clear, mm. that we relate to God not through the, the things that we're doing for him, to make him happy. No, he's already happy with us because of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and the, the price that's already been paid. He already looks at us and smiles as his sons and daughters. And all that we do then is in response to that. So mm-hmm. make the gospel crystal clear from the, from the get go. And then you've got to 
teach them how to self-feed. God has given us three resources. One of those is his word. So teaching them to have regular time in the word and how to study the Bible, how to read the Bible, how to um, have regular intake um, mm-hmm. for themselves. Um, yeah, it's important to, to go to church and, and listen to others teach the Bible. Really, that's pre-digested food. That's milk. Mm. And so you've got to teach them how to, how to eat meat and, and read the Bible, study the Bible for themselves, hear from God, God's Spirit through His Word. Of course, the other resources are His people and His, his Spirit. And so stressing the importance of being part of a community, um, part of a, a group that is going to... Um, speak the gospel, the truth of the gospel into their lives. So number one, we're going to ground them in the gospel, what that means in every area of life. What else would you say begins the discipleship process? Ground them in the gospel and and learning how to to self-feed on the word. Secondly, ground them in community. And then finally, begin to give them a uh, vision for how God wants to use them. The ingredients for making disciples, truth, God's word, relationship, God's people, and mission, empowered by God's Spirit to do His work in the world. And um, putting those three ingredients together, I think, is how you make a disciple. When you think about time, and I know there's no like one-year program, two-year program, five-year program, but what have you seen over 13 years and now three years and counting at Fellowship? Uh, what's a good timeline? Because, again, we're trying to help folks that are both on both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to grow. Obviously, we never stop being a disciple. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I've got to equip them with these tools. And when are they sort of ready to fly? Yeah, I think it, it's highly individual. It depends on the, the person, largely. But there is no quick way to make a mature disciple of Jesus. Um, there's no step one, step two, step three. You've cranked it out in six months. I'm meeting with a neighbor friend of mine who I met almost three years ago now. We hit it off and we started meeting for coffee in the mornings and conversation started to turn towards spiritual things. And um, he kept asking me the question, you keep using the word gospel. What do you mean by that? He mm-hmm. was launching, mm-hmm. lobbing softballs for me to, to explain what it means to relate to God through the gospel and how our works. And it's been a slow process. We meet together almost every Friday morning and in that time, he's discovered the beauty of the gospel, mm. that he doesn't do good things to curry God's favor, but he already has that because of what Jesus Christ has done mm-hmm. and his faith in that. It's been almost three years now, and I've started asking him the question, who can you share this with? As he's starting to really grasp, okay, this is what the gospel is. This is what it means. And we've, we've studied through um, Galatians together. Now we're launching into Romans. And I'm, in, I'm starting to challenge him okay, who is it in your sphere of influence that you can start sharing this good news with? Mm-hmm. It is good news. He's come to understand it is good news. And um, he looks forward to Friday mornings and our time together. But that's been almost three years. And he's just now getting to the point where he's starting to think, okay, yeah, I've not only been saved from something, God's wrath. I'm saved for something. God has a purpose for my life with my sphere of influence. And so... Um, I'm going to continue that relational process with him on Friday mornings at mm-hmm. 6.30. <laughs> and it hasn't been a quick um, step one, step two, step three, boom, you're a mature disciple, mm-hmm. go. It's been a, a, a pretty slow process of relationship building and trust building and studying the word together and him slowly maturing in his faith to where now he's he's catching a vision for making other disciples. I was drawing encouragement from the fact that Christ spent three years now, now, granted, they were pretty much twenty four seven with him, right? 
There might have been some reprieves in there. We don't know all the precise schedule. But at the end of three years, he loses one. Mm -hmm. And we hear more of some and less of others. And to me, that always seems to be a at least a good baseline of some right. kind. Of, <laughs> if the master spent three years with his 12, 11 right. technically, who are we to think we could do it <laughs> in, in 12 weeks? Talk to the person who's, they've sat in church for many years. They know the Bible pretty well. Mm-hmm. They could probably articulate the gospel, maybe not you know, perfectly or, sure. or apologetically. They couldn't convince somebody, but they could share their story. How would you nudge them to say, you know, you need to, at this chapter, your 30s, 40s, 50s, you don't Christ these many years. What are you doing with it? Mm-hmm. Are you, I mean, you can work in church, you can volunteer in nurseries, learning center, do all kinds of good functions, but are you making disciples? Yeah. I think that's painting a picture for them of what life could be like. Because usually if, if somebody's been sitting in church for umpteen years and has been growing, learning, but hasn't had an outlet for making disciples, oftentimes they're bored <laughs> yeah. and they feel like something's missing, but they're not sure what it is. And so um, painting a vision for people that, one, they're not just saved from something, but they're saved for something. And, and God has a great adventure that he wants you to join. And that is the adventure of joining him on his redemptive mission in the world. And he has sovereignly and strategically placed people in your path that only you have influence over. You may be the only person who truly has an understanding of what the gospel is and who Jesus Christ is. And God has put you in this person's path for gospel purposes. And then equipping them to be able to join in that adventure. Because there's usually a lot of fear when you talk with people about disciple making or evangelism. Really evangelism and discipleship are underneath the same umbrella for me of disciple making. Yeah, fascinating. The Great Commission, as we call it, doesn't say evangelize and then make disciples. Yeah, it says just make, make disciples, disciples as you go. Yeah. Yeah. And so training people how to do that. How how do you have a conversation with your coworker about spiritual things? And one of the things I often say is, you know, you don't need to have a master plan. You don't need to have all your ducks in a row. The master already has the plan, and he wants to use you. Are you talking to him about it? Start with prayer. Say, God, I want to be used by you. Will you give me the eyes to see what's already around me mm-hmm. of where you're working? Because God's already working in people's hearts. Give me a vision for, to see who's around me that needs to know about you. Mm-hmm. And then just ask the Spirit to prompt you. So I, that's that's the first step I give to people. And then helping them become conversant with the gospel knowing their own story, being able to articulate their own story mm-hmm. of what the gospel has done in them and how it's continuing to work in them and being able to share that with others. Cindy and I have been involved in ministry and mentoring, which is a guise for discipleship, frankly. <laughs> but it's not the people you pick necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's not like you look, oh, I'd like to hang out with these people. It almost seems like maybe God has a great sense of humor. It says, <laughs> no, we're going to pick people you have nothing in common with, or you didn't even, you know, you didn't see it coming. Right. And then in a very short span of time, you become friends with them mm-hmm. and you have a love for them. But what strikes me are the people that are in our sphere of influence are not the people I would normally say, Hey, I'm going to go disciple X, Y, Z. Right. And that's where I think the fabric of life as you articulated, whether it's your, where you work, where you play your sphere of influence. I think we miss low-hanging fruit because mm-hmm. we just don't see there are people around us. You, you said, Eva, they're interested in God. They just don't know how to talk about him yeah, or what to do with it. Yeah. And that's another thing I encourage people to, to do is look for people that are leaning into a relationship with you already. 
you don't have to push on closed doors. <laughs> right. There's um, with with this neighbor friend of mine. It was there was a, a crisis in his life, and he mm-hmm. knew happened to know I was a pastor, and he thought um, he had lost his job and thought he could network with me because um, he thought I knew a lot of people. <laughs> but that was just a natural starting point. And that first conversation, we started mm-hmm. talking about spiritual things. And he, he just leaned into a relationship with me. And I just asked a simple question. I said, hey, I've enjoyed our time together. Do you want to make this a thing on Friday mornings? He said, yeah. And, uh, that, and probably no one ever in, in his life yeah. ever pursued him like that. Yeah. You know, for me, and again, we're all wired differently. But what I've noticed is it's just that initiative to ask the question to pursue. I've, I've got a neighbor friend as well, and long story short, how we met. And I've been pursuing he and his wife now for probably north of three years and could never crack the combination of where they were spiritually. It was always like a third rail. And over time, just befriending them, asking them questions, praying for them when you know they had different things come up in their lives. And little by little, I said, well, what do you believe? And, you know, so well, I'd be glad to tell you my story, but, you know, you and I were this title pastor. So it's like we're yeah. insurance salespeople, you know, and it's, it's almost a um, hurdle. It is. I think it's, it's detrimental right. more than right. helpful. And so you have to work a little harder mm-hmm. to say, Hey, I'm just a normal guy. Yep. You know, I got family and kids and problems and money issues and just like everybody else. But once you get past that, they don't have people that pursue them mm-hmm. for a relationship. Yeah. People want something from you tit for tat yep. and it's striking how in just the last three or four years uh, this couple not only have ended up at fellowship they've gone abroad with us to israel hmm. they are in a small group now and they're growing like weeds yeah. and it's been exciting just to see i think we overwork it yeah we make it harder than it should be and really what's if i take initiative to a neighbor to give him a book or her a book what's the worst that's going to happen yeah they're not going to read it, right? <laughs> I'm, out, I'm out 20 bucks. But at the end of the day, I think overcoming that fear, it's it's easier, I think, than trying to share the gospel right? with this, you know, I got to close the deal. sharing your deal. life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, being open to relationship and and caring and loving your neighbors. You know, that's a pretty important commandment. What if Jesus meant it literally? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So somebody yeah. listening to you right now. And uh, they're on the fence. Okay, Mark, I think I'd like to do this, but I'm scared. I don't know how. Uh, okay, I, I get some resources. Okay, I pray. I look around. What else would you tell them to nudge them to take seriously this mandate to make disciples? Um, it's not hard. It's what you're created to do as a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, we, we read in one of those forgotten verses of the Bible, Ephesians 2.10, which comes right after some very... Familiar verses, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for grace, grace are you saved through faith. But Ephesians 2, 10 says, um, for we're God's workmanship, we're his work of art, um, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Mm-hmm. And I find great hope in that. You know, if God has already planned it out, I don't need to come up with it. I just need to listen to the Spirit. And another thing I like to tell people is when Jesus called his 12, he didn't say, now if you work really hard, you might become a fisher of men. Hmm. Or if you have all your theological T's crossed and I's dotted and you know you have five books of the Bible memorized, you might become a fisher of men. Now, he, what does he say? I will make you. Where is the the, the impetus? Where Where is the weight? Mm-hmm. You, you know, God is much more interested in using us <laughs> 
than sometimes we are our, ourselves. And he's much more confident in us than sometimes I think we are mm-hmm. in, in ourselves. And we need to place our confidence in him and realize that it's him that does the work through us. And in fact, in our inadequacy, it, that's exactly where he wants us. Feeling inadequate is okay. In fact, it's good (laughs) because then we realize that when something does happen, when we see God work through us to, in uh, spite of us, in, in spite of us, who gets the glory? He does. And so that nudge that I usually give people is that, you know, God wants to use you. He has a plan to use you and he will use you. Mark Irving, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Michael Easley in Context is fully funded from donations by our listeners. If you're a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation on our website? You can find us on michaelincontext.com. In Context is engineered by Chad Cates, produced by Hannah Seymour, and music composed by Tycho, Chad Cates, and Blair Masters.